All right, well, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 21. Matthew is kind of in the second half of the Bible. This is what it says. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted this, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Please pray with me one more time. Father God, as we hear your word, we pray that you would open our hearts to, to allow you to move in us. Lord, wherever we're coming from, Lord, whether we, we know you well or whether we're just starting to hear about you, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see you for who you really are and that we would be changed forever just as Lazarus was changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been working through a series here at Chalmers since, well, I guess a few weeks ago, called Risen, where we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus and the impact that it has on our lives today. Today, I want us to back up a little bit before Jesus rose from the dead, in fact, even before Jesus was arrested or crucified, to when Jesus came into Jerusalem. This happened at the beginning of the week, the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so if you have your message notes, they're inside in your uh, bulletin. This is a great opportunity for you to pull them out to follow along. There will be some fill-in-the-blanks to look at as well. In our scripture passage today, Jesus enters Jerusalem at the time of Passover. Now, Passover was the greatest of the Jewish feasts, celebrating the time that God led the Jewish people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. And you can find that in Exodus 11 and 12. Scholars estimate that at this festival, at this feast, about two and a half million people crowded into Jerusalem to celebrate. And this is the scene at the beginning of the week when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. Matthew records that he goes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And this is very important and very intentional. You see, most people in the first century 
Most Jews in the first century, at least, they were waiting for a Messiah, God's chosen one. But the popular idea was that the Messiah was to be this glorious, strong, and victorious king. You see, the people, the Jewish people, had been praying for this king to come and bring them back into glory for centuries. Since about 740 BC, when the Assyrians took over the northern kingdom, the Israelites had been in captivity. The Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians and the Greeks, and now the Romans. And so, so the Jewish people have been praying for years and centuries, generations, for God to send the right person to come. They craved that God would send a military leader who would lead a revolt against the Roman Empire, free the Jewish people from captivity, and bring about the reign of God in Israel. This Messiah was supposed to be a powerful warrior and a victorious king. In fact, there had been prophecies about this man. Zechariah, hundreds of years ago, said that the Messiah would be riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, saying this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. The one you've been waiting for, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, it's the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus is publicly saying through his actions that he is the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one who's going to bring righteousness and salvation He is God's answer to the Jewish people's prayers. Now, unfortunately, there is a difference of expectation here. The crowd is looking to crown Jesus as an earthly king. But that's not why Jesus has come. See, the crowd is in in the throes of of a very emotionally charged event. They're, They're awaiting the Messiah They're wanting him to take over the Roman government. And so the crowd welcomes Jesus into Jerusalem as that Messiah in hopes that soon they would be free. Now, unfortunately, though, crowds are kind of fickle. One day they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're waving palm branches. Only a few days later, the same crowd is spitting and jeering and yelling, crucify him, crucify him. You see, Jesus, he came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey donkey with a totally different agenda. He knew that this would be the beginning of the end. He was walking right into the lion's den. He also understood himself to be the Messiah, God's anointed one, God's only son. But Jesus was God's deliverance, not from the Roman occupation, but from sin and death. He was the rescue plan to bring people back into a relationship with God. This is why Jesus comes riding on a donkey and not a horse. You see, in ancient times, kings would ride out on a horse when they were going to war. But at times of peace, they would ride on a donkey. In coming on a donkey, Jesus makes a very bold statement. 
that he is not the warrior king that the Jews expected, but instead he has come to bring them peace. And not only has Jesus come in peace, but through the suffering and humiliation, torture and death that he was going to endure over the course of the next week, Jesus would fulfill his ultimate goal. You see, Jesus was God's salvation plan all along. The devil thought that Jesus being executed was game over. But God had planned that that was game victorious. While Jesus never drove out the Roman oppressors from Israel, he did so much more. On the cross, Jesus took on the sin of humanity, the junk in our lives that oppresses us and separates us from God. And as Jesus died, he paid the cost of that sin by his blood so that we might be forgiven and free us from all that oppresses us. It's not enough just to be free from a political party. Jesus frees us from the guilt and consequences of our sin. And although Jesus never reconciled the nation of Israel back into their glory days, he instead reconciled all of humanity back to God, making a way for us to come into a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so you see, as we look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem today, a day that we call Palm Sunday, we need to ask ourselves this question. Are our expectations of God based on what God has revealed to us? Or are our expectations of God out of line with who God is? Let me say that again. Are our expectations of God based on who God has revealed himself to be? Or are our expectations out of line with God? Let me give you two examples. The first example is a man named John. And he was someone who wanted to follow Jesus. He actively was following God. He wanted to do what God wanted in his life. He lived a righteous life. He wanted to obey God, and he wanted to help people obey God. One day, however, he was arrested on account of his faith, and he was put in jail. And in jail, he started to question his life. Were the things that he was doing for God really what God wanted for him? Was Jesus really who he said he was? If Jesus really had come to change things, then why was John now sitting alone in a jail cell, persecuted for his faith? Now, I'd like to tell you that his story ends better than it does, but it doesn't. Unfortunately, John's story doesn't end well at all. He spent his remaining days in that jail cell. There was no pardon, no parole, no release. The sound of keys at his cell, they were not actually invited. They did not mean freedom. They were the keys of his executioner. John was executed because of his faith. Certainly this was not something that he knew he signed up for. 
And yet John struggled with his expectations. He was a mighty man of God, and yet he also had that time of doubt and struggle. We know him in the Bible as John the Baptist. And this is what is written about him. It's from Matthew chapter 11. It says this, After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples, his followers, to ask Jesus, Are you the one who who is to come, or should we expect someone else? In this question, I definitely hear hesitation, don't you? John, sitting in his jail cell, having believed that Jesus was the Messiah who was going to bring about freedom and salvation, sitting in the jail cell, he he questions and he he sends his friends out to, to ask, Jesus, have I believed in you in vain? Was I misled? Are you actually the one who was to come, or should I still be expecting someone else? This is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Do you notice what Jesus says? Or, for that matter, what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, John, you'll get out of prison in three months. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, John, I have you in prison for a specific reason, and you're going to get out really soon. Jesus says, this is what's happening, folks. This is how you know I'm the Messiah. Don't stumble at this time. It's a little comforting for me to know that someone like John the Baptist questioned, that he had that moment of doubt, that his expectations were not always in line with what God was actually doing. Because I know for myself, my expectations aren't always in line with what God is doing. And yet they need to be more and more and more. Let me give you another example closer to my heart. It's the story of a, of a man named Mike. Mike was a young man that I met at a camp that I worked at for many years. Mike grew up in a single-parent family. His dad was out of the picture and had been in prison and stuff, and his mom was raising him and two other kids. And Mike came to camp year after year after year. He was often in my group, and so I would talk to him about Jesus and, and tell him who Jesus was and, and what Jesus offered him, that Jesus wanted to forgive him and love him and offer him a way back to God, that, that Jesus accepted him even in his rocky state. Mike was one of those guys who, he'd come to camp, he'd leave camp, he'd make a whole lot of bad decisions. He'd get himself into jail or juvie or, or whatever, He'd somehow get himself out just to come back to camp, hear about Jesus again, leave, make a whole lot of bad decisions, 
get himself back into juvie. And I remember one year, he was now like 17, had been at camp for years. He was in my group again, and I remember praying for him so hard. I was yelling at God, and I was so frustrated that, just, that Mike hadn't come to know Jesus yet. He had heard about him each time, and you could see, see the twinkle in his eye that this was something that was interesting to him. There was something there. He was wrestling with it, but there was something, something that was holding him back. And I remember just praying fervently, crying and yelling to God, God, why will Mike not choose you? And I remember asking God, can this be the year? Can this be the year that this guy finally sees your transforming power in his life? Can this be the year that he finally gets it and makes that decision and his life will be changed and it'll be amazing? And God, I just, I I want him to know you. And Mike left that week, made more bad decisions. He came back next year, was in someone else's group, and accepted Jesus as a savior. Now, I wish that Mike's story was like one of those teen challenge guys stories that we had before, and his life was just drastically changed. He never made any more bad mistakes. That, that's not Mike. He's still struggling with lots of things. I'm sure he's probably in jail right now. But he knows that there's someone who loves him, despite all the crap in his life. But I want to confess something to you. I was mad at God that last year. Because I wanted Mike to come to know Jesus the year before. I wanted Mike to come to know Jesus on my timeline. I had expectations. And I felt horrible about having those expectations. And I felt horrible about being mad at God for this. But I want to just be honest with you that that's how I felt. Because my expectations weren't in line with what God was doing. So I want to invite us today. I want to invite us today to check our expectations at the door and allow God to do what he wants. And I want to give you kind of five ways to do that. Five things to think about in that. Because my guess is that I'm not the only one here who has certain expectations of God. So number one, we can choose to turn our attention and our affections away from what we want and towards what God is doing. We have a choice here. We can either focus on what we want, be excited about and love what, what we're wanting to do, or we can submit our will and our desires to God and say, God, these, this is what I want. This is, this is the timing that I want. This is how I want things to work. This is what I'm trying to do. But instead, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be part of what you want to do. We need to let God set the agenda. For example, if you're trying to do something, 
and God gives you success somewhere else, maybe God is showing you what he is blessing in your life. And instead of trying to force a round peg into a square hole, we need to look and say, God, you seem to be giving me some blessing here. You, need, you seem to be doing something here, and I'm focusing over here, and so I need to move and focus on what you're doing. I need to partner with you. We actually can enjoy what God's doing when we move our attention and our affections to him. As Christ followers, we need to be constantly asking ourselves, am I wanting God to bless what I want to do for him? Or can I come and be part of what he is already doing in our world? Can I partner with what God is already doing? The fact is we need to submit to what God wants. And that's, that's hard. That's hard. Because I want my culture to be on top. You know, I, I like the Christian culture. I like Christian music. I like hanging out with Christians. I like those kind of things. But God calls us to be part of a culture in subversive ways. We want kind of that popular king. God wants willing servants. We want glory and praise. God demands sacrifice. If we're honest with ourselves, we want an easy life. And God wants faithful followers. So we need to move our perspective from what we want to do to what God is calling us to do. And when we do that, we'll find joy partnering with God. Number two, we need to make our peace with God's timing. Brian, I'm talking to you right now. See, the fact is that the Bible pattern is that God uses people in great works, but first, he does a great work in them. Before God uses anyone for something great, he first needs to do something great in them. I think about Joseph, who was wrongly imprisoned in Egypt. It was natural for Joseph to want to be free from prison, but God was using him in that jail cell to meet the right person to bring him before Pharaoh to become second in command in Egypt and to save the whole nation of Israel. That's a whole lot of God's timing. And if it was up to Joseph, I'm sure he would have wanted to be out in day two. We need to make peace with God's timing. Number three, We need to choose humility. There's a story in the Bible of this great, great man. He was a landowner and a a powerful man, I think in Babylon. His name was Naaman, and he had leprosy. And he heard about this prophet Elisha in Israel. And someone said, hey, you should go to Elisha, and maybe he'll, he'll heal you. And so Naaman went in all his pomp and all his splendor. And he went over to Elisha's house. And Elisha wouldn't even talk to him. Elisha sent a servant to talk to Naaman. And he said, go and wash in a river. Seven times in the Jordan. Just so you know, the Jordan River 
was not crystal clear and beautiful. It was gross. Naaman was wanting a beautiful religious ceremony, a religious ritual. Instead, he was told to go and have seven baths. See, God frequently sets the answers to our prayers in a place where we must humble ourselves to receive it. What God asks of us often doesn't give us the praise and the glory and make us look, say, look at me, look at me. Instead, we need to take a, a position of humility and say, look at God, look at God. Number four, we can expect God to show, show up in ways that we don't like. We can expect God to show up in ways that we don't like. Now let me tell you, God is good, and his ways and his word are good. But often we can find fault with what God says and does. And we can find fault in what God wants us to say and do. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. In other words, someone who's not a Christian, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, might look at and see even some of the things that I'm talking about, where we're, we're talking about submission and humility. That sounds like foolishness, folks. Come on now. Don't we live in a culture that wants power and strength and pride Don't we want to be seen as great and grand? Brian, what you're saying up here is absolute foolishness. And if I brought in people from the the community in here, they would say, yeah, Brian, what you're saying just doesn't make any sense. And that's fair enough. Because it doesn't, they're right, it doesn't work in our current secular culture. But one thing that they might not know is sometimes this whole submission and humility thing sounds like foolishness to us as Christians as well. Because we still have this kind of like wrestling match in our hearts where we hear the Spirit of God speak. We know that God calls us to humility, calls us to sacrifice, calls us to live for Him. And yet we also have this spirit of, of, of the flesh still in us, even though it doesn't have power over us, it can still speak into our lives and say, yeah, but Brian, don't you really want everyone to look at you and say, wow, he is just so awesome. Man, like, I wish I could be like him. And, and God's saying, no, no, no. I want them to say, I wish I was more like Jesus. The fact is, we still have that wrestling match in us. And so I want you to expect the wrestling match and to come to that wrestling match wanting the Spirit to win. When God says something to you, when God tells you to do something for His glory, and it sounds weird and it sounds a little foolish, get ready to let the Holy Spirit win. 
Be ready to say, yeah, you know what? That does sound foolishness. God, I think, I think that what you're asking me to do is going to make me look silly. It's not going to make me look awesome and wonderful like I want to. And I recognize that there's a struggle still here. And so I want to ask that you would help me to look foolish for your sake rather than look awesome for my sake. Number five, we need to remember in all of these things that God is for us. He's not against us. God is for us. He's not against us. Our expectations of what he might do in our lives may be off focus. But here's one thing I want to tell you. What he wants to do in and through you is for his glory and he loves you and he's for you. And that is enough. It's enough to have the God of the universe on your side. It's enough to have, have the King of Kings rooting for you. He wants you to have that abundant life in him And that abundant life is only found when we submit to his plan and his will, his expectations. So I want to say to you right now, if you're here today and your life is just a mess, or you're here today and you're kind of feeling like you're wandering a little bit, you're not sure what God's calling you to do, you find yourself kind of like in this wilderness spot, let me tell you something, that's not the end. God is with you in that mess. He's with you in the wilderness. And he will faithfully be with you until either he brings you out of it or he takes you home. He will be with you through it. Two final things just just for you to think about. Number one, our inability to understand the fullness of God's will, the fullness of God's plan, our inability to understand exactly what God is wanting to do in our lives, that should give us cause to worship Him rather than to doubt Him. Our inability to fully understand God should give us cause to worship Him rather than to doubt Him. Number two, sometimes when we deal with expectations, we're worried that we're going to let someone down. We're going to let our family down. We're going to let our friends down. You're going to let yourself down. We have all these expectations kind of burdened on us. And sometimes when we have expectations on us, we allow them to lead us in ways other people want us to go. Can I tell you something about Jesus? Jesus was willing to disappoint everyone but the Father. Let me say that again. Jesus was willing to disappoint everyone but the Father. See, Jesus loved his followers enough to disappoint them, to allow them to question his power and to struggle against their own expectations in order that they could experience true joy in the long term. And can I tell you something? Jesus is willing to disappoint you 
so that you might experience true joy and love and peace in the long term as well. So let me ask you a question. Where are your expectations at? Are you focused on what you want to do? On what you think God should be doing? On who you think Jesus should be? Or are you willing to submit all of those ideas and thoughts to submit to who Jesus really is and who he is calling you to be? Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now that you would move our hearts from focused on us to focused on you. Lord, for those here today who may never have wanted to follow you, Lord, I just pray that you would move them into a spot where, where they recognize your love and your faithfulness, where they recognize that with you at the steering wheel, life is better. Father, for those who are here today who have been trying to follow you in their lives, I just pray that you would show each of us where in our life we are we're tempted to see the wrong expectation, to see you in an image or in a, in a way that we've kind of made up in our own heads of how you work and of what you do rather than who you really are. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to submit to you that we would die to ourselves and that we would live for you and for what you want rather than what we want. Jesus, thank you that you're with us. You're with us in the mess. You're with us in the uncertainty. That you are faithful to us even when we're not faithful to you. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that your love covers over a multitude of sins. Lord, we submit to you now. Help us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.